blessed to be here. This is the first time that I've been in Trinidad and Tobago. Okay, I'm sure I'm pronouncing your Tobago or Tobago? Tobago, forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me. Okay, um, as our dear brother announced, I'm a founder of a religious community in Peru and called, in English it's called Servants of Divine Mercy. In our charism is to live love in everything. And being a religious, and I hear these wonderful sisters, we can honestly say like married life, religious life is not easy. It's not easy. I love being a religious. I love being a priest. I've been a priest for 30 years. And it is a tremendous blessing, okay? But I've realized that I cannot be the religious, on your sake, those of you who are married or single, young or old, we cannot be the child of God or the son of God that we're meant to be with, if we do not let God invade us. We must allow God to... Take possession of us. We must allow God not only to take possession of us, he must really stuff us with himself. I'm not using very liturgical language. But I always say to God, especially before the Eucharist, Lord, invade me. Invade me. Because that is the only way I can only love God as Father, as Son, and Holy Spirit. As He alone deserves to be loved. Not with my human love. My human love is very limited. That's something that I've learned in religious life. I remember when I was waiting to be released from the Archdiocese of Washington. I was spending time in prayer before the Eucharist. And I heard our Lord say to me, I will send you men who would not be accepted in other communities. Not because they are bad or they're evil. They're very good men. 
They have been in many times my teachers. But what he meant to say was, you will learn, you will have to learn to love them with all of their imperfections, with their limitations, as I love you with your limitations. So I, it, it came to a point after a few years of, of being a founder, I said to Jesus, Jesus gave me an incredible grace during a retreat in Arizona. And in one, see, our Lord can show us many things. And he showed me in an instant, though that instant seemed very long, how my imperfections had hurt my brothers. I used to be very impatient. I used to, like, I would get very upset interiorly, not that I was shouting at them all the time, but they could tell in my, how, in my face, I, I used to have what, how I say in Spanish, la cara de una pistola. The, I had the, the, the face of a pistol or a rifle. And they knew when I was upset. If they didn't sing well at mass, for example. Okay? So God showed me how my impatience and the, the root of all sin is pride. How my pride had hurt them. I didn't want to hurt them. Not at all. I wanted to be, the Lord, when he called me to found this community, he said, I'm calling you to return to Peru and found a new religious family. Because unfortunately, like in the same way, like in marriages, families many times love is lacking. So it happens the same thing in religious communities. So Jesus said, I want you to be the founder of a new religious family. Where, where I reign, where he reigns, where love reigns. So what God had to do was, first of all, show me my many, many, many imperfections. Show me my pride. And I stuck my foot in my mouth many times. So I, when I was in Arizona, I was praying before a talk. I was praying for the Eucharist, and Jesus showed me how I had hurt my dear brothers. I remember I knelt before the Eucharist, and I began to sob. Do you understand that here? To sob, sob, and I just couldn't stop crying. I just couldn't stop crying. And I, what I most wanted was to return to Peru as soon as possible and to beg my dear brothers' forgiveness. Because many times I had thought, well, I'm a priest 17, 18, 19 years. I know better than they do. Guess what? I didn't know better than they did. So I remember I begged God to change me. I begged him. Because our Lord, whose perfection in everything, is so humble that many times he asks us permission to change us. 
So in order for me to love my God with my entire being, I must be filled with God's love. I must allow God's transforming love to transform me, to change me radically, radically. It's very easy to wear the habit. One thing is wearing the habit, and one thing is wearing Christ. So I think of the words of our dear St. Paul. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And that is a process. And we have this lifetime, however long it is, to allow Christ to transform us. To allow him to stuff us with his grace, with his love and his mercy. And it's not easy. And I want to emphasize to you, even though it's been very, our community is going to be 16 years old this year. When I was a diocesan priest, the people didn't live with me. So for them, I was fa wonderful Father Ricardo, okay, Father Mart uh, Scott, oh, you know, Father, oh, you're wonderful. I mean, you know, they love my homilies, the retreats, and this and that. And plus they gave me, you know, they, they found out I loved chocolate. They gave me chocolates. So I was spoiled rotten. There was another story, a very necessary process, was to allow the Lord to transform me deeply with humiliations, with many tears, and on my knees, begging God to help me. Begging him to help me. Begging him to change me. I remember when we would have, you know, the house where we first rented uh, had an the oval-shaped table. And sometimes the brothers would arrive a little bit late for lunch or dinner. And they would see an empty seat next to me. And they would hesitate to sit next to me. Now, praise God, they kind of fight. I don't mean physically, but they, they say, you sat next to Father last week. Let me sit next to him now. But that's only possible if we allow God to change us. Because one of the greatest mistakes we can make is to think that we have it all together. One of the greatest mistakes we can make is to think that we are always right. That was moi. That was me. One of the greatest mistakes we can make is to think that we do not want to change. We can say, yes, Lord, change me, but deep inside, we don't want to change. So God wants to take possession of our heart, of our will, of our life. And he wants to stuff us with his love. And I want to reiterate to you, 
it is only possible if we allow him to change us. So when I got back to Peru, going back to my trip years ago to Arizona, and I flew back to Peru, and since I got back, I, you know, I probably got back to the convent at 1.30 in the morning, so it was no time to wake them up and say, let's have a community meeting, okay? Though that's what I wanted in my heart. I really wanted to pour my heart out to them and beg them forgiveness. So the next day, I talked to the brother, who's now a priest, and he's the superior of the community, Father Jose Maria, and I said, Father Jose Maria, I really need to talk to the community. Can we have a meeting after lunch? He said, sure, Father, no problem. So after, at the end of the lunch, I said to them, okay, brothers, um, after lunch and the dishes are washed, we're going to have a community meeting. And will, now we live in that, not in the house that we rented. Now we live in the uh, convent that belongs to my twin brother's community. We rented from them. It's a very big convent. So the living room is very big, very spacious. And they went in like it was like curtains for them. Because every time, many times, I called for surprise meetings. And that always meant that they were going to be corrected. And they had done something wrong. And I was going to set them right. So they, I sat there and they looked at me like, and I could tell in their face, now what have we done? So I waited for them to just settle down. And I got on my knees. And I began to sob. And I said to them, they said they came to me, some of them coming, Father, what's wrong? Are you sick? Is something wrong? And I said, no, brothers, nothing is wrong. I'm not sick. This past mission has been an eye-opener for me. Our Lord showed me how my impatience, how my pride has hurt each and every one of you. And I want to beg you for forgiveness. Beg you. And I repeated that, that sentence. I want to beg you for forgiveness. Then I went to each of them. I kissed their feet. And I begged them for forgiveness. Individually. That was the beginning of a new history of our community. Now, it wasn't magic. The change was not magic. It, it, it didn't happen from one day to another. The change took place little by little. So when they, because the one who's really changed the most and who had to change the most me being the head and the founder, I had to show them not just in words. Like some people ask me sometimes, well, Father, have you read the, the diary of St. Faustina? I said, just a few pieces. You know where I, where I learned about divine mercy? With mercy incarnated, with Jesus Christ before the Eucharist. And it's mostly in silence. 
Because it's not so much what we do for the Lord. We really don't do anything for him. It's what he most wants from each and every one of us is that we allow him to change us, to transform us. Because he knows. And I always tell people, God is a very merciful God. He has been so, so merciful with me. And he is so merciful. But God is no idiot. He gives us many opportunities in this life to change us. Years ago, when I first founded the community, I told the brothers, brothers, every day as a religious is important. Now I don't say every day. I say every second. Because it may be the last second that I have to live. So I must beg him to change me. If you're married, a husband or wife, beg God to change you. And a beautiful way to allow the Lord to change us, to transform us, is to ask for forgiveness for our faults. Parents, ask your children forgiveness. For the many times in your humanity, you make mistakes. Children, ask your parents forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, ask one forgiveness from one another. Because that's the way we allow God, we, be, we love him with all our heart. We're, we are growing in humility. We are allowing him to transform us. And when we say to love our God with our entire being is to be open to his will. What is his will? That we be holy men and women of God. That we live out our vocation as sons and daughters of God. That we allow God to be Abba. Daddy. 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 And like any good son or daughter, we have a lot to learn from our daddy, from Abba. A lot. So I realized that God had not chosen me to be a religious, a founder, because I had it all together. Quite the opposite. He said to me once, I was in tears at Mass because I, I realized that I was muffing up, making so many mistakes, nothing scandalous. But I remember my brother, used, you know, I have a twin brother who's a priest and he's a founder. So I can tell you what I would confess to him. Like I would confess anger. And he used to say to me, Richard, beware of anger. It's a tool of the devil. I want you to close your eyes and ask you a question. Please close your eyes. Please do not look at me. Please close your eyes. How many of you struggle with anger? Raise your arm, your heads, your hands. Okay, close your eyes. Okay. That used to be my big, big, big sin. Sin. 
How many of you struggle with unforgiveness? Please raise your hand. Okay, I'm adding my name to that. How many of you struggle and it's difficult for you to say to people, forgive me, and it's difficult for you to admit that you're wrong? I'm also raising my hand for that. I'm going to raise my hand for everything. I had a dream with my aunt, my, my aunt Tula, my mother's sister. She was very, a beautiful woman. She, she died when she was 97. She loved God with all her heart. And I had a dream of her after her death, two years after her death. And in the dream, she said to me, my love, I'm translating from Spanish to English. My love, amorcito. She said, remember this, which is another way of saying, for your life, don't forget it. Love much and forgive always. Because that's the path to heaven. How many of you have heard of Michael Brown? Michael Brown has, he has a webpage called Spirit Daily. So a wonderful man. I've all, I haven't had the blessing to meet him personally, but I've talked to him on the phone. And Michael Brown has written many books about people who have had life after death experiences. And one of the books is called Afterlife. And he, and he interviews many people who have had life after death experiences. And he interviewed a woman who had died during an operation. Obviously she was brought back to life. And she had her uh, personal judgment or individual judgment. My sister, my older sister, living sister, because uh, had a life after death experience, but she did not have her life, you know, the difference. So she did not have her personal judgment. But this woman, I don't remember the name, and he didn't include the name in the book, said that when she had her personal judgment, for example, during her life, up to that point, she had been, when she was young, very successful in sports. She was a, in a small town in the United States. She was very athletic, and she was very well regarded by everyone. She was known for being very athletic and for representing her hometown. Second of all, she had been professionally very successful. To her shock and surprise, when she had her personal judgment, all of that meant absolutely nothing to God. It, it, God didn't even mention it. What most stood out in her personal judgment was something that she, in her humanity, didn't think was very important. God's ways are not our ways. So she was shown that one time on a weekend, a Sunday evening, she was at home in her apartment and her phone rang. And it was her best friend who was calling her, sobbing, 
her fiance had just died in a car accident. So she spent like two hours on the phone listening to her friend, being there for her. And she said, I really said very little to my friend. I just listened to her and consoled her. And then one day, I don't know how much later, she went into a Catholic church to pray before the Blessed Sacrament, and she saw an older woman sobbing. She walked up to her, put her hand on her shoulder, caressed her shoulder. The woman had just found out her husband had died suddenly. And she was just there for her, consoling her. But she said, I didn't really say anything to her. In the eyes of God, those two actions of selfless love meant more to him than her success in athletics and in her job, in her profession. What is God saying to us? Not that it's wrong to, to be, if you're a lawyer, to be a good lawyer. Not that it's wrong to have a good job, have a nice house, a nice home. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we die, and are judged, and I will be judged much more severely than all of you. Because I have received much. The calling to be a priest. And the more you pray, the more the priest prays, the more the Lord shows you the greatness of that calling. Not that, not that Christ wants us to think, guess what? I'm so great and I'm a priest. And none of you are priests, you know. No, that's not what God wants. What God wants us to know is that I love you so much and despite you, I've given you this unique gift of being called to be another Christ. So my awareness and my heart of the gift, I'm so unworthy. I am so unworthy. And God has given me a gift that is priceless. Priceless. So in order for us to love, as God commands us to love, because it's not a suggestion, it is a commandment, we must allow him to transform our hearts. We must give him permission continuously. Because God allows trials in our life, crosses, that will, if we accept them, if we embrace those crosses, an illness, the sudden death of a loved one, a humiliation, working with somebody. How many of you work with somebody who's literally a pain in the neck? Raise your hands. I worked for, for a pastor who was a pain in the neck. He was an alcoholic. He asked me for forgiveness. 
So God many times would say, God, why do you put this person in my life? Love this person, but away from me. I've thought of that. I'm human too. But God puts those difficult people in our path because it is a way of accelerating our learning to love as he loves us. It is no coincidence or mistake that maybe you have, okay, I, I want to raise you, those of you who are women and married, and married, raise your hands, okay? How many of you have had mother-in-laws who are pretty difficult, okay? God bless you for being sincere, okay? God puts those people in our path to have to enlarge our hearts. Because he wants to make our hearts huge like his heart. When Jesus says in scripture, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. He doesn't just mean memorize that scripture passage. What he's saying is, imitate me. And let me make Jesus, your heart gentle and humble. So everything that I'm, that, that I'm sharing with you has been very difficult for me. It has not been easy. I grew up in a family, and I'm not pleased. Anything that I tell you in these talks about my, the, the family that I was born into, it's not to talk bad about my mother and father. They did the best they could. My father, even though people ask me sometimes, where did you get the last name Scott? You see, in Latin America, we use two last names. So my first, my father's last name is, was, is Scott. So I had English blood. My great-grandfather moved to Peru in 1850-something. So... My father grew up in the mountains of Peru. They had a ranch. And my grandfather, his father, was an alcoholic. He caused a lot of pain to my grandmother and to my father and his siblings. So much pain that my father, my father died when he was 74 years old. My father literally never mentioned his father to us. My mother, also has passed away, she grew up in a family. Um, my grandparents, her parents were very good. I only met my mother's mother. My grandmother was a um, holy woman, but both her, my mother's parents lost their mother when they were two years old. So they did not receive a lot of affection. To make a long story short, I was raised in a family that was like a refrigerator. And my father, because he grew up in a home that was chaotic, and his father died when my father was nine years old, was a perfectionist. 
and we were disciplined, we suffered what you call now physical, emotional abuse. So I was, and my father would hold grudges. He would get upset very easily. And I came to the realization that what I most disliked about my father, that he all often had a long face, he was upset. And I wanted to say, get, you know, beat me up, Scotty. Get me out of here, often. I did not know that I was doing the same things to my brothers in the community. But God in his mercy privately showed me my mistakes and invited me to transform my heart, to allow him to transform my heart. Okay. <laughs> I have not good eyesight. How many? Fifteen minutes, okay? <laughs> so sign, a tall man, much taller than me, but I couldn't read the number. So my sisters and brothers, when God shows us that we've muffed it up, that we really messed it up, thank God. Thank God. Because God is wants you to get to heaven the quicker the, the, the better after our death. So ask yourself, if you're married, how is my relationship with my wife? How is, if you're in the wife, how is my relationship with my husband? How is our communication? Are we addicted to the cell phone. It breaks my heart when I travel, and I, and I travel a lot to different countries. So I often am in, you know, uh, food courts and airports. And, uh, you know, obviously if I'm by myself, I'm usually praying. I'm talking to our Lord while I'm eating. But I have a cell phone. I got one two years ago. But I'm not addicted to it. But it breaks my heart when I see, let's say, a husband and a wife eating lunch together and there's no communication between them. They are glued to their, it's like if they had been born with their cell phone. If it was a, like an, an organ in their body. Or they look at each other and they're staring at one another. There's no emotions that transpire between one and the other. And I say to myself, boy, this marriage must be a doozy. <laughs> or when I see young kids, I hope I'm wrong what I'm going to say, who probably act like spoiled brats. And they have, you know, the, the cell phones and, the, or, you know, the, I hate it when I see them with their earphones. And, you know, they're like separated from the world, from their family. No communication. Zilch. Sado. That just didn't happen. That's not what God meant for families. 
I wasn't told often that I was loved. In fact, my father died when I was 32. My mother died when I was, she died 10 years ago, so I'm 50 years. I was 50 years old. With my mother, she later, God changed her after I w- moved back to Peru, so she didn't see me that often. So she became very affectionate. My father, I know he loved me, and I know he did the best he could, rarely said anything good to me. And how I, it breaks my heart that I did not make more of an effort to relate to him. So ask yourself, how is your home life? You know, the, the first evangelizers to children in their homes are the parents. The father's meant to be show the son or the daughter the love of God. Not just in word, but by example. And the mother too. The feminine tenderness of Our Lady with the, with the grace of the Holy Spirit. But also, something that's very important, it's not, ju- it's not just to talk about God. You have to ch- tell your children, teach them what love is like, who God is in your life. I remember one time seeing a father, he was trying to convince his son to go to a prayer meeting. I was a seminarian with my twin brother. This is the way the father had the son come in. He was a teenager. Pushed him in, like pushing, literally pushing him. I thought to myself, oh my gosh, <laughs> this son is going to enter you know, the, the prayer meeting with such enthusiasm. No, no. We have to let God invade our hearts, stuff us with his love. So now, even though I was not shown much affection, tenderness with my brothers, see, I've had to learn to love. I tell them often, I say, my dear brother, you're such a gem. I love you so much. You are so special to me. You're so special to God. They're not used to it, or they were not used to it. Now they are. And sometimes, you know, it can be a mess. I just feel this impulse. And I said, you know, one day the Lord told me with one of our brothers who's now a priest, I said, Brother Pedro, forgive me for the times that during these years, for years, I did not know how to listen to you. And he, had, he broke into tears. He said, Father, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that. So I tell them often that I'm sorry, not because they haven't forgiven me. It's because I wounded them many times. So that's the Lord healing them to this interaction of love, of showing them that they're unique. And I tell them that. You are unique. 
One of our brothers who's recently ordained is Brother Pio, now Father Pio. And I tell him, El Gran Pio, the great Pio. And he loves that. He told a friend of mine, I love when Father tells me that. But that's God's love, that tenderness that comes out. And it's not my tenderness. It's the tenderness of God for each one of us. That's why I don't hesitate to say to you, this is what I feel. At this moment, I feel that our Lord, he delights in all of you. You're all precious to him. You are all precious to him. I beg you, never forget that. You are precious to him. All of you are precious to him. And he delights in you. And he's saying to me right now, you are all my gems. You are my gems. Allow me to make you believe that. You are his gems. You are his jewels on his crown. Because God does not make trash. God does not make trash. I remember one time in Arizona at this mass, I felt, uh, you know, I was given the homily before the mission, and I just felt in my heart to tell them, in my heart I felt was exploding of love. And I said, all of you are precious. And I had tears in my eyes and I kept repeating it. At the end of mass, a young woman, probably in her early 30s, said to me, Father, thank you so much for the homily. I said, Jesus was the one who gave the homily. I never know what I'm going to say. She said, Father, I was thinking of leaving the Catholic Church today. This was going to be my last Mass. What our Lord told me through you has changed my heart, has been so healing. So ask yourselves. I always say the tongue is like a, I don't know how you say una. Is that una espada doble filo, how you say? The tongue? Una, una espada doble filo, la, la lengua. A sort of two-edged sword. One can do a lot of good with your tongue, say beautiful things to them, to others, or you can cause a lot of pain. I was blessed to grow up in a home where my parents loved each other tremendously. My father treated my mother like a queen. Guess what, men? Please treat your wives like a queen. And if you don't know what that means, ask our Lord. He will teach you. Okay? Our Lord is a good teacher. So, ask yourself, how is your relationship with your children? Maybe they're now grown up. But ask them how much time you spend with them. How open are they with you? Thank you. How open are they with you? If you grew up with children that were never at home, that's a sign that there's, they don't feel at home at home. That was moi. That was me. 
every when I was a uh, teenager and an, for first years of university student, I went out with my friends every weekend. When I went on vacation, where my father worked at the Inter-American Development Bank, we got a what was called home leave every two years. So we would, you know, obviously when I was an older person, I went back to Peru to spend time with my relatives. So you know how long my month vacation was? Almost three months. <laughs> Why? Because I didn't feel loved. Now the beautiful thing is, one time I asked the Lord, Jesus, I grew up in an upper middle class family in Peru. So I asked the Lord one time as a priest, I was visiting Peru with my twin brother, who was also a priest at that time, and I was praying in a convent of, a cloistered convent of nuns before the Eucharist, and I asked the Lord, Jesus, what would have happened to me had I been raised in Peru all my life? Jesus said to me in my heart, you would have gotten lost. I would have gotten morally lost. I probably would have gotten into everything. Drugs, alcohol, I would have been a womanizer, name it. God protected me. My first and only time that I tried to lose my virginity, the car wouldn't start. <laughs> and Jesus said to me, this is beautiful. I said, Jesus, why? And he said two things. He said, because so many few men enter this calling virgins. I don't, I don't look down at those who lost their virginity. You know, heaven's no saint. Heaven is full of people who lost their virginity. And then he said to me, this is something very beautiful. I always wanted you only for me. Okay? But God, and I, when I was a teenager, even in the first years of, of college, I had this question in my heart that I was petrified to think about it. And it was, will I ever feel loved? Will I ever feel loved? I can tell you from the depths of my heart, I feel so loved. I feel like our Lord's favorite child. I can sit on his lap. I can sob before the Eucharist. He's tops. He is just tops. He has stuffed me with himself. He has stuffed me with himself. And that's what he wants to do with each and every one of you. If we were to take the gospel and summarize it with one phrase, it'll be our Lord saying to each and every one of us, you have no idea how much I love you. You have no idea how much I love you.
So when I sit before him, I sit with love, incarnated to be loved, and to allow him through me, despite my imperfections, to love me and to love others. We are here on earth to love. If you learned how to love on earth, you were very successful, quote unquote, in God's eyes. Remember this. And I feel God's delight. It's explosive in my heart. He says, I love you. I love you. I love you. You are precious to me. You are so precious to me. How much I delight in you. God put that in my heart. I can't keep it in. It's not supposed to be kept in. So my dear brothers and sisters, I humbly beg you to pray for me. Pray that I be the priest that I'm meant to be. And pray for all priests. I know there's a special ministry of the, of your, of the ministry here. Okay? You're all precious. You are all precious. You're really precious. Each and every one are precious. Never forget that. God bless you. Praise be Jesus and Mary now and forever. God bless you.